This is Turning Point, Episode 4. My theory, you know, in social work and community work is, is you got to work yourself out of a job. You know, to help folks get to a point where they don't need you anymore. And as much as it's sad when you make connections with people and, and you see them on their journey and you see them go on a long way, by the time they're like, you know what, I'm good. Like, I can do this on my own. It's it's amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful experience. But it's also, you know, it's sad, right? Because you help people on their way and then... They don't quite need you where I cut off. That's, that's the end goal. A cool, wet Thursday morning on Main Street, near Logan Avenue. The Mitch Walk. Named after community advocate Mitch Bourbon. I brought friends here, so let's just get out there, show some love to each other, to people out there, and get it done. Hi, hi. Can uh, I chat with you? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I always do this with everybody. Who do I have here? Uh, Tori Lynn Weir. I work with Makoon Transition Inc. as a case manager, and I'm also attached to Mama Bear Clan. When I was about 14, 15, I was in a um, transitional halfway home for high-risk youth, and I had a support worker, and I'm pretty sure it was her first job ever. Um, and I gave her a run for her money, but she would not quit on me. She would not let up. You know, she just, even the days where I'm screaming at her and I'm freaking out, she would just, she just stood there and she was there for me. And now um, being quite older and, and being farther in my sobriety and, and, and my education and things like that, um, we're still very close and I talk to her and I do credit her. Trail. Like, I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for her just, you know, being just as stubborn as I was and, and not giving up on me. So you're giving back. Like giving back. Yep. Full circle. Yep. And I'm very blessed. Not a lot of people get that opportunity. Some people get close. Um, some people, you know, don't ever quite see the end of the light. So I'm very fortunate that I got to go for it, got to be full circle and now I get to do this. How can we be allies in this effort? How can we, Winnipeggers, be allies to you? I think it's just a basis of, of, of understanding. Like it's not even so much like showing up here and, and, and doing outreach and things like that, but just having the knowledge that what you see on the streets when you drive by or when you pass by, that there's a bigger picture to it, that everything has an underlying factor, that nobody wakes up and chooses, oh, I'm gonna be on the streets today or I'm gonna use drugs today, that everything leads up to another and and, and we're not far off. You know, everybody's one one thing away. It's one missed bill, one one, you know, mistake at work or you know, gas prices rising or the market crashing, we're all steps away from ending up in these exact same positions and just having that empathy without physically doing anything can go miles for people and supporting those who are making those initiatives whether it's financially whether it's you know sharing sharing posts or talking about it just having the empathy and talking about it and being open to learning about it um, makes a world of difference in in our social scenarios you quickly learn there are many agencies working with homeless individuals making those connections Many are funded by your federal or provincial tax dollars, faith-based, non-faith-based, indigenous groups, foundations, lots of organizations, and some amazing people like we are connecting with those on the street and in camps. I'm Michelle Wesley. I'm uh, an outreach worker for St. Boniface Street Links. I also do the housing and EIA um, with our clients. I have to say that, um, you know, I was also caught in an addiction myself and I'm a recovering addict alcoholic and um, I was part of a problem at one time and I want to be part of the solution. These are mothers, uh, fathers, sisters, brothers, aunties, uncles. Um, They are um, people that have been um, stuck in encampments and uh, suffer from uh, homelessness or addictions. 
do uh, approach people um, and offer housing almost instantly. Nobody deserves to be out here. Um, you know, everybody deserves running water, uh, a flushing toilet, um, a stove to cook off, uh, basically a roof over their head. And we make them uh, know that they deserve better than what they're um, allowing themselves at this point. I'm with a team from St. Boniface Street Links inside an apartment complex on Sherbrooke near Ellis Avenue. Hi, it's Michelle. Hi, we're here. Hi. There's a whole... Mm, smells good in here. Oh, that's good. I put myself in a lot of dangerous situations, you know? I, like, I, sometimes I just... I get lonely and I just... I used to just, like, just go into the darkest spots in the city and then like I snap out of it and I'm like what the hell like you know like why am I just like I've been through that shit why am I still here you know like and it's it's scary and 33 year old Trista Sinclair for months lived in a homeless camp not to judge because she's pregnant and now willing to accept help I grew up in Pukatawaga Manitoba and I also came to Winnipeg off and on like throughout my teenage years Pretty much independent was my life since I was 12 years old. Then I just basically went on my own out here, running away from the system. As I was growing up, I got involved with CFS with my kids, myself too, you know, and I had a lot of pride that I couldn't let go of. And I was never used to asking for help, like for the resources and everything, right? And I was in in an encampment down in St. Patel and they kept coming by feeding us and stuff like and I didn't want their help right and I was like I don't want to know no I'll just stay here I'm all right and like the help came to me and I didn't even like ask for it but they were patient with you yes they were you know and... they waited till I was ready to like you know they didn't force me to didn't force me to do anything there are success stories and then the battle to keep people alive just relax your arm there, my friend. Just relax your arm there, my friend. Right, cool, right. In 2021, 407 Manitobans died from overdose. Fentanyl, methamphetamine, cocaine, laced with other substances. And this year, the numbers are expected to climb. Few people disagree with programs to get homeless people into shelter. The controversy is where you stand on safe injection sites, and safe distribution of drugs. My name is Thomas Linner. I'm the provincial director of the Manitoba Health Coalition. I think part of it is to recognize kind of where we are and how it's different from even five, ten years ago. That what we're seeing on the on the streets right now is is not so much like there's obviously the addictions issues and the homelessness issues and the and the mental health issues that are there. But right now the drugs that are on the street are poison. So you are seeing people who otherwise you know, you might have had a bad weekend. You might have had uh, a bad week. You might have you might have done something that you shouldn't have done. And and five, ten years ago, you would have rolled out. And tomorrow's another day with new choices, new chances. But right now, all too often, that hard weekend is a deadly weekend. And I know so many families, including you know, I don't want to go too deep too deep into it, but personal connections. 
uh, of folks that that's just what's happened. A bad weekend, a bad day, a bad set of circumstances, and you're dead. That didn't used to be the case, and it really shouldn't be the case. And it is for too many Winnipeggers right now. And it's fentanyl laced with who knows what. Who knows what? Like, I, I was talking to uh, a friend in law enforcement in, in BC a while ago who was just simply talking about how what you don't see coming in through the port of Vancouver anymore? Heroin. It's practically gone. Because the synthetics, uh, drugs that, that can be thrown into the market by God knows who for God knows what reason, uh, are just so easy to make and so profitable. Uh, and it's, re- it's really a scary situation. You and others then are advocates of the whole idea of safe sites yeah. for people that choose to still use drugs to be able to do it safely. And not only an area, but you're also talking supply here. Help us understand that. Well, I, I think we've seen a really good uh, action actually out of Alberta come recently, which is which is talking about this, which is be, which is being able to take identified drug users, uh, substance users, people who are at risk of, uh, of the negative effects of drug use, and being able to make sure that they have a safe supply of that drug. Because with that safe supply comes tomorrow, and potentially a better chance and a better choice tomorrow. Uh, without that, we are seeing far too many situations where, you know, in, in Winnipeg alone, the ambulance calls for overdose, uh, overdoses has increased something like 500% in five years. That's an insane number. That has a huge impact on our healthcare system, on our law enforcement system, and just on the level of chaos that we see on the streets. You know, you have people who are facing so many barriers. Colonialism, the colonial history of this city, of this province, of this country, you know, poverty, uh, all of these issues, and add on top of that the mountain of death that is now coming with it. It's really unacceptable, and that's where we need to act. You're looking for candidates both at the council level and at the mayoral level that will buy into this strategy. You put out a questionnaire. Did you get a whole lot of responses? Uh, well, I, I will say uh, I was very disappointed uh, with the response at the time. Um, we had only about three incumbent city councillors, those who have been vocal on this issue, uh, Cindy Gilroy, Sherry Rollins, Brian Mays, who have been vocal on this issue from the very beginning, uh, and only a few of the uh, of the mayoral candidates. At the time, none of the front runners. Now, I will say uh, in that time, we have had uh, responses since that time from Sean Loney and Rick Schoen, both in the affirmative, really thank them for that. So the only folks that we have not seen a response from uh, to date are Glenn Murray, Kevin Klein, and Jenny Mokteluk. Uh, Scott Gillingham did respond. Scott Gillingham was not entirely in favor of, of the proposals that we put forward, but I'm okay with that because I know this is a debate. I come from a prairie town. I come from Saskatoon. I know how these issues are. I know how these issues are were when what we were talking about was needle exchange because of the bloodborne STDs and that sort of thing and what a huge issue that that was having. I know that it's going to be difficult for some communities to understand what is necessary, but they also need to understand this is happening in their communities as well. This is Turning Point, the 680 CJOB podcast on the 2022 municipal election. We are examining the issues of homelessness, addiction. Thomas Liner is with the Manitoba Health Coalition. He says the next mayor and council have to lobby federal and provincial governments to provide safe places 
and safe supplies for those who choose to use drugs. You cannot stage manage this kind of crisis. Whether you like it or not, this is going, this is going to hit you because it's hitting in your emergency rooms and those, and those people who are working in those emergency rooms and waiting in those emergency rooms, they see it. The people that are dealing with this on the, on the streets, they see it and it's touching far too many lives. The justice minister, this government would take a different approach. They have said, no, we're not looking at safe supply. We're not looking at those safe zones here whatsoever. We're trying a, wait for it, made in Manitoba approach. Will that at all work? Well, I mean, the, the drugs are being made in Manitoba, whether the justice minister likes it or not. The deaths are happening in Manitoba. Um, to avoid these kinds of issues and to try to b bury your head in the sand on it is not going to get anywhere where we need to go. You know, I, I see the Justice Minister go out yesterday talking to, uh, talking to the federal government about the, need, about the province's needs when it comes to violent crime. But at the same time, he is absolutely ignoring his responsibility to the kind of life and the kind of public safety that people need in the biggest city in this province. We know that Winnipeg is a vector for a lot of reasons, for population migration, for a lot of people who have a lot of issues and, and all the rest. This is where, this is ground zero. BC has a successful heroin exchange program, if you will, safe mm -hmm. supply program. Yes. And interestingly enough, for those that want heroin as the drug of choice, it seems to have succeeded. <laughs> but the, the issue is, is that is for a whole generation no longer the drug of choice. Uh, do we have good data on the synthetic drug, that you, the safe supply drug that you would put out in a place like Winnipeg? Is there good data? Do we have the research yet on whether that works or not, to be fair? Uh, to be fair, I, th I think that we would actually have to take a look at some of the, the pilot projects that are happening right now across the country. I know Thunder Bay is, is a location where there is a lot of work being done. I know there's, I know there's a few other places where that kind of thing is happening. Um, but what I don't want to have is to people to put forward excuses not to act. Because this is literally today to tomorrow. For so many people, this is today to tomorrow. And it's just unacceptable that we are seeing this happen this frequently without the proper data for community organizations, for health officials to make the decisions that need to be made. In my journey dealing with those battling addiction, I've always used the line dancing comparison. It's one step forward, two to the side, two backwards. Um, I kind of have like a similar theory to it where you, you can't walk ahead of people, you can't drag them along, right? You can't pull them back. You kind of have to walk beside them and and let them guide you where they need to go. Um, folks out here, they're pretty resourceful. They know what they need and they usually know how to get it. Um, you know, me, myself, having some experiences kind of in, in, in different lifestyles, I can understand like this way of life and, and how to get out of it. So it's nice sometimes for folks to see people who have kind of had the same experiences be able to go on the other side and have like a, a tool belt Tori and a Lynn, for them. Tori of Mama Bear Clan. Like Liner, on the addiction side, Weir says we really need to start looking at this issue of homelessness and those just surviving. We need to look at it very differently. People compliant on systems, um, you know, with different things like income assistance or low income housing. Basically anything that's attached or geared to low income is designed for people to stay ahead. Like a crabs in the bucket kind of mentality, right? Where, you know, you're, you're so dependent on these systems. Um, I used to talk about something called a, a pipeline to prison. Um, which would be folks who were heavily involved in like CFS or things like that. Um, when you get to rely on those systems, when they age out, there's no, 
there's there's no like safety net right you're on your own so you start to do things like committing crimes and not even out of a malicious intent but it's for survival so then you have to rely on another system like prison right for the three meals a day for shelter for a roof over your head and that's how folks get institutionalized when people are institutionalized they have to stay within systems and stay dependent on them and reliant for turning point i'm 680 cjob's richard cliche